hides her face Seems too good for your embrace To find her and say my dove Your voice is sweet, show me your form Your form is lovely, your mercy reigns Your mercy comes, your mercy it rises with the sun Your mercy reigns Your mercy comes Your mercy falls It rises with the sun It's new every morning It's new every morning It's good enough for me It's a good thing that they got the heater working this week, right? Last week the heater wasn't working, and dang, I was cold, but it's better now. Hey, uh, this sermon really is uh, kind of a continuation of last week's sermons and really all of the sermons that have gone before. So if you get confused, which you will, be sure to look uh, on the website, all right? And if you miss some, go back and um, take a listen to them, and, and they should help. Uh, let's pray. Father, um, this whole preaching and talking about you thing seems kind of insane to me. Lord, you are so big and you are so good. You are so astounding. And who are we that we could even talk about you? So Lord God, would you send your Holy Spirit to help us? Father, there are just profound mysteries in what we'll be talking about tonight. So, God, if I'm messing up, would you erase it from everybody's mind? <laughs> but, Father, whatever is you, I pray that it would be planted deep in our hearts. 
and bear the fruit that is life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This is Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. The Lord God took the man, the Adam, and put him in the Garden of Eden to serve and obey or to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the Adam, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat it, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. The knowledge of good and evil, the tree of knowledge. What is the problem with knowledge? I mean, we kind of started talking about that Last week, why does God warn Adam about knowledge and not vodka or dirty magazines or something like that? Knowledge. Last week, I started reading a book titled Expecting Adam. Have any of you read that book? It's by Martha Beck. Uh, It's about her and her husband, John, who were both Harvard PhD students addicted to acquiring knowledge when much to Martha's dismay, she discovered that she was pregnant with life. She writes, this is a story, a a true story, of two driven Harvard academics who found out in mid-pregnancy that their unborn son was retarded. What they did not realize is that they themselves were the ones who would be born Infants in a new world where magic is commonplace. Toward the end of the book, she writes this. I was afraid that Adam, that's her retarded son, would never think the way I was taught to think at Harvard. He doesn't. You know, at institutions of higher learning, you're taught to take knowledge by comprehending things. So if you want to know a tree, you cut it down and you count the rings, right? If you want to know a frog, you cut it apart and analyze the pieces. Of course, the frog dies, but that's okay. You've conquered and gained knowledge. If you want to know a wife, it gets more complicated. And if you want to know God, well, many evangelicals or intellectuals, actually evangelicals maybe too, argue that he's dead. And wonder why. Well, Adam wasn't an intellectual. Martha describes how she tried to teach Adam the alphabet and totally failed. You see, Adam had no interest in knowledge for its own sake. Adam didn't care that E stood for egg. But when he found out that E stood for Elizabeth, oh, wow. That really mattered because Elizabeth was his sister. For Adam, knowledge was important only insofar as it served someone that he loved. So Adam used knowledge to love people rather than using people to love knowledge. Martha writes this, As we figured out how he learned, the landscape of our son's mind began to reveal itself to us. Instead of a rationally constructed structure of empirical observations, logical conclusions, and arbitrary symbols, Adam's mental world seems to be more like a huge family reunion. In this world, Adam learns as fast as anyone I know. Long before he could read or write even the most basic words, or so I thought, Adam came home to tell me in his garbled tongue about the new boy who had just moved into his class, who had, who had become Adam's friend. When I couldn't understand his pronunciation of the boy's name, Adam grabbed a pencil in his stubby, grubby little boy fingers and wrote Miguel Fernando de la Hoya on a piece of paper, a piece of paper, needless to say, which I intend to frame. If I ever need a dose of Adam and he isn't around, I'll be able to look at that clumsily written name and remember what it is like to tap into an intelligence powered exclusively by love. Intelligence powered exclusively by love. Adam. And Jesus is the eschatos Adam. 
intelligence powered exclusively by love. Jesus is, is wisdom. Satan is an intelligence powered exclusively by malice. For him, knowledge is solely a weapon. That's why you know things, to use it as a weapon. So last time we asked, is, is knowledge good or bad? And we said, well, perhaps it depends on how it's acquired. There are different ways of, of knowing. You can willfully take knowledge for your own purposes, or you can receive knowledge, you know, as like a gift. Different ways of knowing and different things to be known. You can know things less than yourself through science and empirical observation. But you can only know things greater than yourself through wonder and worship and relationship. If you try to know persons like you know a thing, what is it? It's, it's abuse or rape or murder. And when you know a person as you know a thing, you actually don't know the person. You know about them, the part that's less than. Carbon, oxygen, nitrogen, vital statistics, you know, stuff that you can just take. But spirit, soul, person, you can only receive that if they choose to reveal that by grace. So ironically, the more you take knowledge, the less you may know. It's the man who rapes women who's least likely to know a woman, right? It's the ruler who murders and dissects his subjects that's least likely to know one. It's the bride who takes from her groom who's least likely to receive her groom, to be known by her groom, impregnated with the life of her groom. Well, at the snake's tempting, Eve took fruit from the tree of knowledge. Humanity took knowledge and lost knowing God. We got religion. <laughs> <laughs> and lost relationship, communion, ecstasy, God. You know, sometimes when we're intimidated or jealous of a person, we'll try to gain knowledge about that person and thereby diminish that person and defend ourselves against that person. Well, God's a person, not a thing. He's a person. And, you know, we get pretty intimidated by him. You know what I mean? So it makes sense, doesn't it, that it was religious folks that crucified Jesus. They wanted to comprehend him rather than be comprehended by him. They wanted to know about him rather than to be known by him. So they nailed him to the tree according to their knowledge of good and evil. You know, sometimes it's the theologians and the pastors who hate God the most. The psychologists who hate people the most. The lawyers who hate justice the most. Perhaps it's intellectuals who sometimes hate truth the most. If indeed truth is a person, not a thing. You see, by knowing all about a person, we defend ourselves from knowing that person or being known by that person. In other words, with knowledge, we defend ourselves against love. And love is a person, as well as the meaning of all things. You may remember this movie. Um, it's a scene from Goodwill Hunting, this, this clip. Matt Damon plays Will Hunting. Robin Williams is his counselor. Well, if you remember, Will is like this absolute genius who absolutely astounds the faculty at MIT with his brilliance, and yet Will's life is just a relational hell. Will knows about everyone, but he can't seem to know anyone. 
In this previous scene, he uses his knowledge of psychology just to dissect his counselor's soul and crucify his love for his deceased wife. The next day, his counselor, Robin Williams, takes him to a garden and says this. Listen close. If I asked you about art, you'd probably give me the skinny on every art book ever written. Michelangelo. I know a lot about him. Life's work, political aspirations, him and the Pope, sexual orientation, the whole works, right? But I bet you can't tell me what it smells like in the Sistine Chapel. You never actually stood there and looked up at that beautiful ceiling. Seen that. If I ask you about women, you'd probably give me a silver, say your personal favorites. You may have even been a few times. But you can't tell me what it feels like to wake up next to a woman and feel truly happy. You're a tough kid. I ask you about war, you'd probably uh, throw Shakespeare at me, right? Once more into the breach, dear friends. You've never been near one. You've never held your best friend's head in your lap and watch him gasp his last breath looking to you for help. I ask you about love. Probably quote me a sonnet. But you've never looked at a woman and been totally vulnerable. Known someone that could level you with her eyes. Feeling like God put an angel on earth just for you rescue you from the depths of hell and you wouldn't know what it's like to be her angel to have that love for her be there forever through anything through cancer and you would know about sleeping sitting up in a hospital room for two months holding her hand because the doctors could see in your eyes that the terms visiting hours don't apply to you you don't know about real loss because it only occurs when you love something more than you love yourself. I doubt you've ever dared to love anybody that much. Terrified by love, we crucified love on a tree in a garden. Eve took knowledge of the good and so crucified the good. The good is a person. She took knowledge of God and so nailed him to a tree, crucified the eschatos Adam. Well, that's what we talked about last time. And we realize this isn't just a story about humanity in a tree in a garden long ago. And this isn't just a story about religious people in a tree in a garden in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. It's a story about you and about me and the garden in our heart right now. We also saw this, if you remember, that according to Scripture, um, there was a time for, for each of us before we had the knowledge of good and evil. That's why in Deuteronomy, it's the children who don't have, quote, the knowledge of good and evil that are allowed to enter the land. And we thought that's probably why Jesus said stuff like, you have to become like a little child to enter the kingdom. And that's why, you see, I think little Adam Beck lived in a rather magical world, like Alice in Wonderland. Small, you have to become small to enter Wonderland. Children are small and receive everything by grace. They don't have a enough knowledge to use it as a weapon, and so defend themselves against love. Children know things then by faith in persons. They navigate by relationship. Children know through surrender rather than conquest. So remember um, in the E.T. video clip we watched last week, the adults and the scientists 
They wanted to take knowledge from E.T. by controlling him, cutting him to pieces. They wanted to know about him, but it was the children, remember, that wanted to know him. E.T., the extraterrestrial man, the heavenly man, the eschatos Adam. And you may remember a scientist said to Elias' brother, he was questioning him at the start. He said this, so you're telling me Elliot thinks it's thoughts? And he said, no, I'm telling you, Elliot feels his feelings. Well, to know God, you must become like a child. And knowing God, communion with God, is the essence of paradise. And now if you're following all of this, if you're tracking with me, you ought to be asking one really huge question. And you can ask it in a, in a bunch of different ways, but it would be something like this. Uh, well, if that's true, why didn't God just kill us all when we were children? Right? I mean, wouldn't that have been a smart idea? Why did he let us grow up? Is another way of asking it. Or here's another way. Why would God put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil smack dab in the middle of the garden with two half-baked naked people and an evil talking snake? Why would he do that? Why? Why would God command them not to eat when they did not know if the commandment was good or evil because they did not know if God was good or evil for they had not taken the knowledge of good or evil? In other words, why did God subject the creation to futility and evil? and chaos, and the void. Why did God consign all men to disobedience? Why does this world have to hurt so bad? Why? Well, maybe we can shift gears for just a minute because I want you to ask a question, okay? And the question is this. What do you like about God? I mean, you know him, at least a little bit. You, you know, you are here last week and stuff, and I said, hey, you know him and all that stuff. What do you like about him? Um, so if you would, turn to two or three other people, tell them your name, okay? And then you just ask them this question. If you say, well, I don't know, that's okay, that's fine, that's a good answer. Um, and just tell them, what do you like about God? All right, go ahead and do that. Go. Okay, that's good. Did you get a date? Anybody get a date? Um, all right, so what are some ideas? I mean, what are the things that, you know, you like about God? You can just yell them out, some words that you like about God. Comfort, Comfort okay. What other things? Comfort, presence. What, what other things? Compassionate. What? Consistent, okay, present all the time, okay? What other things? What else do you like about God? Hope, mercy, what was it? Severe mercy, okay. Um, hope, okay, what other things? Faithful, okay. Other things, anything else you like about God? Grace, okay, what? Grace, that's a good one. Okay, if you could put it all in a word, like what would the word be? Love, okay, so you would say love if you put it all in a word, so ooh, God is love, okay? And uh, someone said grace, mercy, you know, the way we experience God's love is grace, right? Grace is the way we experience it. And, and, and you know, really, everything is grace, and all these things are kind of related to grace. They're all love, and grace is the way we experience love, and everything is grace. In other words, we didn't create ourselves, right? Who has given a gift to him that he might be paid back from him? Everything is grace. Everything we have and everything we are is a gift. Everything exists by grace. But grace is not just a thing. 
right? Um, grace and love, they're not just a thing. Grace is not just a thing. Grace is a person. Listen to what Karl Barth writes. God's free grace is God himself in his most inner and essential nature. God himself as he is. God himself is free grace. I mean, it's his grace that gives us comfort and presence and, compa- and is compassionate and, and even severe mercy is grace and hope and all these things. And love is experienced by us as grace because it's undeserved. Undeserved love is hesed, that is mercy. So, God is grace, and we like grace, right? It's good, right? You like it? You, say, you look at that grace, you go, that's good. I like that grace. It's good. God is grace, and grace is a person. If you wrap that person in flesh, what would be his name? Jesus, yeah, all right. Jesus is love and grace um, in flesh. And uh, Jesus' glory is revealed. It's made known where? On a cross, a schoolon. It's also called a tree, all right? That's where his glory, he said, when I am lifted up, um, uh, that's exposing the Father's glory. When he's lifted up on a tree, God's glory is revealed. In other words, the thing you like so much about God, I think, is Jesus, right? And more specifically, Jesus Christ and him crucified on a tree. As John puts it, Jesus from the bosom of the Father he has made him known, made God known. So God wants to be known. Isaiah, Habakkuk, they prophesy the earth, the eretz, the land, will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In the Revelation, John sees blood from a wine press. It's wine that is blood and blood that is wine. And you know, blood is life. The life is in the blood. It flows out of this wine press and covers the land to the depths of a horse's bridle. In Luke, Zechariah prophesies that Jesus came to give knowledge of salvation in the forgiveness of sins. That knowledge will cover the land like water covers the sea. It flows from a tree on which the heart of God is crucified. Jesus Christ, from the bosom of the Father, he has made God known. Okay? So let's review. Number one, God is grace. Number two, grace is a person. And number three, a person who desires to be known. So number four, God who is grace and God who is good planted a tree in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, saying, the day you eat of it, you will surely die. So if you did eat of it, in that day, there's one thing that you'd surely know. God is good, and you are evil, and you desperately need, desire, want, grace. I mean, you would all of a sudden realize, I need a helper named Grace. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, what exactly is it? Well, it's knowledge, like we talked about last time. And like we said, you can take knowledge as in murder and rape, or you can receive knowledge as in a revelation of grace. You know, just because God said, don't eat it, don't take it, I I don't think that means that he didn't in some way plan to give it, for indeed he gives you all things, right? 
in Christ Jesus. He knew they'd take it. Yet I think even that was part of how he planned to give it. Well, it's knowledge. But more specifically, it's the knowledge of good and evil. If someone wants to take the knowledge of good and evil, if they want the knowledge of good and evil, what do they want? A law, right? Tell me what's good, tell me what's evil. They want a law. And why would they want a law? To judge something. To justify something. Well, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is the tree of law. Listen to Romans chapter 3, verse 2. By works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law came knowledge of sin. Huh, I thought that was the tree of knowledge of good and evil that came knowledge of sin. Through the law came knowledge of sin. You know, if you're ever confused about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is pretty freaking confusing, why God would plant it, whether it's good or evil, and what it's for, read the book of Romans and substitute the phrase knowledge of good and evil wherever you read the word law. So this is Romans 7. What then shall we say? That the law, the knowledge of good and evil, is sin? By no means. Yet it, if it had not been for the knowledge of good and evil, the law, I should not have known sin. Sin finding opportunity in the commandment deceived me and by it killed me. So the law, the knowledge of good and evil, is holy and the commandment is holy and just and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin working death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. Do you know, according to Scripture, Eve was a sinner before she took that fruit? Scripture says it, whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Eve did not have faith that God was good. And how could she have faith that God was good without the knowledge of the good? <laughs> well, Eve was sinful before she took the fruit. She just didn't know it. Kind of like Eve was uncovered, incomplete, and naked before she took the fruit. She just didn't know it. Well, she gave some to Adam, who was with her. And we're going to talk about that a lot more later. She gave some to Adam, who was with her, and they both knew. They both knew that they were naked, unfinished, uncovered, and guilty. So they tried to cover themselves, finish themselves, redeem themselves, justify themselves with more knowledge of good and evil. They made excuses. They hid themselves. They hid their shame. They hid themselves in the trees, with the trees, the law. And we've been doing it all the time, every day, every minute, ever since. God finds them. Covers them with the skin of a sacrificial animal. They're exiled from the garden to the east. The garden is veiled and hidden. The garden is closed and guarded by the cherubim and a flaming sword. And how will they, how will Adam, mankind, ever get back? Well, as we saw last time, the inner sanctuary in the tabernacle or temple was a picture of that sealed garden. There was a great veil, and behind the veil, two golden cherubim. Between the cherubim, on the ark, or in the ark, was the Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments, the law, the knowledge of good and evil. On the ark, covering, covering the law, was the mercy seat, where the high priest sprinkled blood that was life. There God would commune with men above the ark of the testimony. The testimony. You, do, you get the, do you get the picture? Okay? Knowledge of good and evil and life veiled and guarded by cherubim. The only way to enter was through blood, sacrificial blood. 
that covered the knowledge of good and evil like God covers us with mercy. The temple. Terrifying. Mysterious. Awesome. Didn't you used to wonder this? I used to always wonder this. For years I've, I've wondered it. What's the point? I mean, God, I understand the law. That part of the Old Testament makes sense, you know, the knowledge of good and evil and the theology of grace. And God, I said the prayer. I know the stuff. I know the stuff. So why? Why? Why the blood and the bleeding lambs and the darkness and the fire? Why the mystery and the confusion and the pain? Why all the sacrifice in this temple of pain? Why? Well, maybe God would sit me in a garden and say something like this. Peter, you know about love. If I asked you about love, you might even quote me a sonnet. But Peter, you don't know what it is to sacrifice your only begotten son for the sins of the world. Peter, you know about me, but I want you to know me. You know, when Christ was crucified, he was nailed to a tree in the garden and died. And as he died, that veil in the temple was ripped from the top to the bottom. Did you know the word revelation literally means unveiling? You see, the fall was the great veiling. And Jesus Christ and him crucified was the great unveiling of the heart of God. Mercy, who is grace. Romans 5.20, listen closely to this. The law, knowledge of good and evil, came in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Romans 8.19, God subjected the creation to futility in hope. Romans 11.32, God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. For from him and through him and to him are all things. And scripture tells us he will fill all things with himself and he is mercy. You can't be full of mercy if you're full of yourself. And you can't be covered in his righteousness if you're covered in your own. And how can you receive mercy unless you know what it is, unless you know you need it, unless you have the knowledge of good and evil, unless you know God is good and you're not. When Jesus was crucified, he was crucified on a tree in a garden. He was crucified on a tree of law in strict accordance with the religious leader's knowledge of law. We have a law, and by that law, he must die. And the man hung on a tree, cursed is the man who hangs on a tree. Knowledge is a weapon. Intelligence powered by malice and the void. And those religious leaders wielded it. Well, as you know, Jesus was innocent, and yet he became sin for us. He became the sacrifice for us, the blood that covers our knowledge, mercy. And you see, that's good. That's the good. But do you see? We take the knowledge of the good by murdering the good. For God to say, don't eat the fruit of the tree is to say, don't take the life of my son. And yet, that was his gracious choice. The plan from the foundation of the world that we might see. His body and blood is knowledge of good, which exposes evil. And his body and blood is life. In him was life. 
and we took his life. Yet even as we took his life, he gave his life. Even as we stole the good, he gave the good. He forgave his goodness, his life, crying, Father, forgive. And at the cross, you see, he ambushed all of us thieves with mercy. He ambushed all of us murderers who hated life. He ambushed us with life. His tree is knowledge of good and evil, and his tree is life. It's law covered in blood. It's grace. There's one tree in the New Jerusalem, and from it flows a river of life which covers the earth with the knowledge of the glory of God, and the glory of God is grace. As Jesus cried, Father, forgive, and gave up his spirit like seed, the veil in the temple ripped. The way was open to communion with God, but not like Adam and Eve knew in the garden. Better than the garden. For we become the garden, filled with mercy. We become the woman, we become the bride, filled with her groom in ecstasy. We become the tabernacle filled with the glory of the living God. And you may say, well, cool. <laughs> That's neat. But that happened 2,000 years ago. And I don't know about you, but to me, it doesn't feel like paradise around here. Story happened in a garden at the foundation of the earth. Well, the story did happen in a garden at the foundation of the earth. And the story happened in a garden at Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, but you see, the story is still happening right now in the garden of your heart. You have been subjected to futility. <laughs> Did you know that? Thanks. You have been subjected to futility in hope. You have been consigned to disobedience so that you might know mercy. So that you might know God. And not just about God, but really know God, be known by God like mercy born into you, like a, like a manger of sorrow. So on the sixth day, the day he hung from the tree, he took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. Take and eat. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant, the covenant in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you. Do it in remembrance of me. You see, this is fruit from his tree. His skulon in Greek. It means cross and tree. So when you come to this table, you confess your sin. You surrender the fruit you stole, your judgments, and receive his fruit, grace, mercy, himself. It's fruit. And now get this, the fruit is seed. The seed lodges deep in the broken soil of our heart, the womb of our heart. And then you see, you become just like Martha Beck. <laughs> Enamored with her knowledge and yet pregnant with his life. Adam. You're expecting Adam. Not the first Adam, but the heavenly Adam, the eschatos Adam. It's Christmas, and Scripture's not messing around when it says that Christ is born in you and being formed in you. He's growing in you. You actually become his body. You see, you simply aren't to know about God. You're destined to know God, and God is mercy. So why all the suffering? Why did God subject the creation to futility? 
Why did he consign all to disobedience? Why couldn't we stay children? Why did we have to grow up before we then had to grow down? Why did he put the tree smack dab in the midst of the garden? Why? And why did he put the tree smack dab in the midst of my garden? He put the tree in the midst of the garden so that we would be sure to see Jesus Christ and him crucified there. And not just know about him. Know him. The heart of God. It may not feel like a gift now. But it's the greatest gift. Through all the pain and all the sorrow of this world, God is giving us his heart. So that we wouldn't just think his thoughts we would feel his feelings. So one day he might say, Peter, Peter, you don't just know about art, do you? My beauty is not just a theory to you, is it? You've been to my tree, tasted my body, and drank my wine. Peter, you don't just know about women. You know how it feels to love my bride and be wounded by my bride and cleanse my bride. Peter, you don't just know about war. You know what it is to hold my children who've been raped by evil and you know what I endure to set them free. You know. Peter, you don't just know about love and the theology of mercy. Peter... You've been rescued from the depths of hell by mercy. You've come to the end of yourself and seen me hanging there in your place. Peter, you know about real loss, and now you know real gain. Peter, you don't just know about me. You know me. Do you understand that your entire life in this world is an invitation to know mercy as the one who receives it, as the one who gives it, gives him who is mercy. God consigned all men to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. And so come to his tree. Come to the Holy of Holies. Surrender your disobedience and receive his mercy. He is mercy. And knowing him is the substance of paradise, the kingdom of heaven. In Jesus' name, don't trust your own knowledge. Trust him the gospel. Amen. So close your eyes and let me ask you what hurts? Answer the question what hurts? For some of you, maybe it's something you did. You had an affair. You broke up a relationship. You aborted a child. You told a lie. If it's something that you did, You need mercy. Maybe in your mind's eye you can look up and you see a tree. It's an ancient tree. And there's a man nailed to the tree. He loves you. 
A river flows from the tree. It looks like blood and then it turns to wine. It's mercy. He lifts his eyes, he looks at you and he says, I forgive you. How does that feel? What is that like? Drink it. Ingest it. A while ago you said it was the thing you liked about God. It hurts now. Yeah, it hurts to see it the first time around, but it's good. For others of you, maybe you hurt because somebody did something to you. They lied to you. They divorced you. They betrayed you. They slandered you. Do you see what they need? Mercy. You've received mercy. Now give mercy. Yeah, I know it hurts. You're nailed to a tree with him. But you see, there's a river that flows from the tree. Looks like blood, it turns to wine, and it sets them free. It's mercy. It's that thing that you like most about God, and look, it showed up in you. Maybe you're sick. Maybe your finances have fallen apart. Will you still ask for mercy? He's showing you his mercy. And have courage. Mercy hurts in this world. Learning mercy. Because learning mercy is a blood transfusion. But in eternity, it all turns to life and ecstasy and joy and beauty. And so have courage. The Creator is asking you to know Him. And knowing Him is paradise. So Lord Jesus, I ask that you would help all of us to surrender our lives to you every day because you're waiting to know us with mercy. And all of that mercy turns to joy. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving us. It's a severe mercy, isn't it? Uh, you're not safe, but you're good. And so, Lord Jesus, be born in us. Live your life in us and uh, take us home. Help us to believe. In Jesus' name we ask it, Lord God. Amen.